0: Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. We're going to continue on in our study of Matthew, the ninth chapter. If you're brand new with us, we're walking through just verse by verse, uh, word by word, paragraph by paragraph through the gospel of Matthew. And that is the way we study the Bible here. I think that is probably the most helpful way for all of us to study scripture, is to simply allow the Scriptures in their context to speak to us. This is the living Word of God that you have before you in your own language. And uh, it's our treasure and our opportunity to um, come with the Holy Spirit's power and aid to an understanding of Scripture that actually conforms us, transforms us to bear the character of our Savior. And so our desire this morning, just like every other Lord's Day, is to... Be more like the Savior because of our time with the Savior today in his word in Matthew chapter 9. In 2nd Timothy chapter 3 in verse 12, we find a very familiar promise to us. Paul is writing to Timothy, the young pastor at Ephesus. He's left Timothy there to set things in order. And young Timothy is struggling with a number of issues in the church. But he affirms this promise to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Indeed, Paul says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't know about you, but just reading that verse on face value as a as an American Christian, as one who has grown up as an American Christian and lived in this country, that verse doesn't necessarily resonate with me experientially there's not a lot of experience in my own life that reads second timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 and says i have seen this to be true and like all passages of scripture that is an inspired word for us it is a true word for us today so why is it that i at least and i'm sure many of you find that hard to believe That if you are actually pursuing a godly life, you will. It is a guaranteed promise for you. You will be persecuted. I think that the underlying assumption of your Bible is that if you are here this morning and you are truly a follower of Christ, you are in Christ. Your life will bear such a distinction from the culture around you. That they will react adversely to that distinction and they will lash out at you for the distinction that is your Christianity, which is your new life. That's the assumption of even the Sermon on the Mount, which we just recently studied in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Right? In Matthew chapter 5, we find that same promise given to us in verse 10. If you're in Matthew 9, you just turn back a couple pages. And you can see this with your own eyes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. The final beatitude says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the assumption of a distinct life that is marked by the character of the Beatitudes in verses 3 through 10 is culminated in an expectation and even in a blessing for those who suffer for Christ's sake. The reality is that your Bible assumes that those who profess profess faith in Jesus Christ, who are followers of Jesus Christ, will not just live distinctly, but their lives will be so altered by their conversion, by their new life, by their pursuit of obedience to Jesus Christ, that they will actually speak the message of the gospel. They will be on a mission from the point of salvation onward until death. And the Bible assumes that if we are truly on a mission as a believer, that the world will respond. Those who are not a part of the kingdom will respond with persecution. And with anger towards us, towards the kingdom citizens, those who truly embrace discipleship following Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. The offense is no different today than it was then. It may have a little different slant today in our postmodern culture. To say that there is an absolute truth, that there is an absolute God who hands down propositional truth and that there is only one way of salvation and there is only one person who can provide that salvation and it is exclusive to him. Is ever offensive. This reeks in our culture of arrogance for no one should have the audacity to say that they know what the truth is. And they can actually articulate it. And if they were so bold as to say they know what the truth is, no one in their right mind in our culture would demand that others also respond to that truth. So today I can guarantee you, just as the inspired word has communicated to us, that those who desire and pursue a godly life that is a radical, transformed pursuit of jesus christ will suffer persecution those who embrace a kingdom mission will also suffer the consequences and the rewards for that mission now if you're new or if we need review this morning you haven't been with us in a while we are coming to the end we have come really to the end of one major section in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And that is the validation of Jesus as the Messiah through his authority in action. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7 we saw Jesus authoritative teaching. His authority in word. The people at the conclusion of that message. They're on the side of a mountain. Those people were awed. Not because necessarily of the content in which Or the which they heard, but the way in which that content was delivered to them. They saw Jesus' authority in word. Matthew chapter 8 and 9 picked up that same theme and showed us with undying um, devotion. Matthew portrayed to us the authority of Jesus in action. And we pick up now in verse 35 at the very last of chapter 9 with a turn. There is a turn, there's a new concern, there's a new theme. Today we're going to begin our study of the kingdom mission. If we have seen the king in chapters 1 through 4, in all of his glory, we've heard the king in chapters 5 through 7, in all of his spoken authority, we've Validated the king in chapters 8 and 9 as the one who can work miracles, who who bears authority over even sin itself and can offer forgiveness. We now will address the kingdom mission, the outworking of the pursuit and the following of Jesus Christ. So much of our Christian culture just basically says, if you believe the right facts, pray the right prayer, you then are Considered to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. But the gospel, the gospel as revealed in Matthew, portrays that believing the truth about Jesus must be accompanied by a surrender of my will to the King, which will then affect the remainder of my life. There will be a radical alteration in my direction, in my priorities, in my pursuits. Because I am a follower of Christ. That is the truth that we're going to find this morning in three marks of the kingdom mission in verses 35 through 38. We're just going to look at these three marks. And interestingly enough, Matthew begins this section, this new study of the kingdom mission, this this change in his writing. He does that with setting forth the example of none other than the king himself. We're actually going to view the king and his kingdom priorities in his mission as the standard for us. And so Jesus here will stand before us in verses thirty five to thirty eight. And he will be the one who bears the marks of the kingdom mission. He is the standard. He is the king of the kingdom. Therefore, it's only appropriate that Matthew draws our attention in this study of the kingdom mission to none other than the king himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read together verses 35 through 38 and set the table for our study this morning in God's word. And Jesus, verse 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord for our consideration this morning. We'll begin with these three marks with the first mark found in verse 35. The kingdom mission is marked by... Persistent ministry. The kingdom mission is marked, first of all, by persistent ministry. Verse 35 says, just with simple transition of the word and, and Jesus, right after the healing of the mute and demon possessed man, Jesus, now Matthew turns to the broad, went throughout all the cities and villages, and the assumption here is. Of Galilee the whole region of Galilee. Jesus went from village to village to village to city to city to city. And he was relentless in ministering to people. The first mark of the kingdom mission is a persistent priority on ministry. Let's think a little bit about this together. The historian Josephus from the intertestament time. Helps us understand what is What is behind the statement Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages? Get your mind around this. The least of the estimates, Josephus says there is no less than 204 villages and cities in Galilee at this point. And each of those cities and villages represents no less than 15,000 people in each. So at the most conservative estimate, Jesus moved from population to population to population, touching with his ministry, his persistent kingdom mission. He touched no less than three million people. And if Jesus went from synagogue to synagogue and he accomplished two synagogue meetings a day in two separate cities or villages, it would take him no less than four months on foot to complete this circuit of ministry. The kingdom mission ultimately embraced and exclusively in perfection embraced by the king himself. The God man Jesus Christ is marked by persistence in ministry. Jesus did not just go from each city and village and do miracles or just provide physical comfort he went specifically to minister to their greatest need that is their spiritual need and you'll notice in verse 35 that it explains how he did that he went from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue teaching in their synagogues and you understand what that would entail even from the basic reading of the bible jesus was going from jewish worship worship place to jewish worship place and he was opening the scrolls of the new testament and he was proclaiming the word of God. Jesus was an expositor. All the scribes in that day were at the base level expositors. They read the scriptures and they gave the sense of the scriptures. And Jesus does this from town to town, from village to village, from synagogue to synagogue. He teaches, but he doesn't just stop with the instruction from the word of God. In verse 35, it goes on and says, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom proclaiming is the same word that we use or that we understand for preaching preaching is simply the proclamation of the truth it's heralding the truth it's a town crier idea someone who comes and opens up a sheet of paper and says listen up the king has something to say jesus proclaimed he preached he heralded the gospel of his kingdom in other words, Jesus went from town to town and village to village in persistent dogged ministry. He went and he explained the scriptures and he declared the kingdom's here. And this is good news. God's promises from the Old Testament to the nation of Israel were being fulfilled in the presence of their Messiah. He was tireless in teaching and proclaiming and then healing every sort of disease and sickness notice the end of verse 35 not only was he teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom but he was also healing every disease and every affliction i think matthew is very intentional in this paragraph with major words for us right he went to all the towns all the villages all the cities and he healed every disease, every affliction. There was nothing outside of the scope of the ministry of Jesus. He was consumed with this kingdom mission. It was everything that he existed for on this earth. And you know that, right? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his crucifixion, Jesus is on his knees. He is weeping and praying to the point of bleeding. Bleeding. From his pores. And he is crying out to the father. If there is any other way. For your will to be accomplished. Let this cup which is the crucifixion. And separation from the father. Let it pass from me. Not my will though. Yours. Jesus was here. For one reason. And one reason alone. He was here for his kingdom mission. And he was persistent. In ministry. As the defining mark. Of that kingdom mission. The scriptures in the Old Testament provided the divine promise for the kingdom. Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. He proclaimed that and his healing confirmed. That he was in fact the Messiah. In fact in just a few verses we're going to find out that. A couple more of the disciples of John come to check in to see if he in fact is the Messiah. They're a little concerned that. This kingdom idea isn't really developing as fast as they would have liked politically. Jesus says, go back and tell John that the lame people are walking and that blind people are seeing. And that people who are possessed are being released from demon possession. In other words, go tell John that the miracles that I'm doing are attesting to my messianic ministry. Now, this is right here at the outset a humbling place for us to start as God's people this morning right you're here this morning you profess faith in Christ you are a part of the the kingdom citizens to go back to our sermon on the mount term you're here and you would raise your hand and you would you would wear the badge of christian of kingdom citizen and yet this is the picture of the kingdom citizens mission In Jesus Christ, he is the example, he is the model, he is the ultimate illustration of the kingdom mission, and that is a humbling thought. If we are taking our cues from Jesus. For this life as kingdom citizens, this life here on this earth, within his his realm, under his authority, then we are left with one reality, and that is our life is to be consumed with ministry. Our life is to be centered on ministry. Our life is to be focused on accomplishing the kingdom purposes. And the kingdom purposes are quite simple. To proclaim the word of God and to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what fuels the Great Commission, where we actually began our study of Matthew. On September 9th in 2007. This is where Jesus begins. He begins with this concept. With this persistent ministry at his heart. It must be ours as well. Our lives are to revolve around the kingdom mission. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So that sinners may be saved from God's imminent wrath. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 Because I'm confident that it is the power of God. Paul was consumed. You come to the Apostle Paul and you think, what was with this guy? He was consumed. We look at the other servants that are represented of Christ in our New Testaments. And we think, these people are radical. They're simply taking their example from Christ himself. Who went from village to village, from town to town, from city to city, teaching, preaching and healing for the sake of accomplishing the will of his father in his kingdom mission. Let me ask you a hard question. okay? One hard question. If Grace Church of the Valley. Was equal in its indiscriminate and persistent ministry of the gospel as you are how faithful would our church be to the Great Commission? If we all stood equal with your persistent ministry or my persistent ministry, how faithful would we be? Because the example here, the ultimate example of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory and majesty as the one who emptied himself and took on The form of a man and came and dwelt among us. Emmanuel. The the example here is a consuming passion. Are you consumed. With the good news of the kingdom. Or are you happy to sit. And to possess it. And to hoard it. And to come to church and talk about it. And to sing about it and. And call another Christian and talk about it. And and email another Christian and talk about it. And read some articles about it on the internet. And then listen to some more preaching. and, And interact more with the word of God. But if there's not a consuming passion to carry the mission. Then we are not understanding what we're here for. And we're not understanding what the kingdom is all about. Jesus was persistent. Persistent in ministry. And this is the first mark. Of the kingdom mission. Now it doesn't stop there. It goes to the inside now. And Jesus continues to show us. The marks of the kingdom mission. In verse 36 Matthew records. When he saw the crowds. He had compassion for them. Because they were harassed. And helpless like sheep without a shepherd. First of all. The kingdom mission is marked by persistent ministry. Secondly in verse 36. The kingdom mission is marked by. Informed compassion. And if we're startled by the the central focus of Jesus to go from city to city and village to village, if we're shocked by that example standing before us, we're all the more convicted and shocked by what we find in verse 36. Because here is the sinless, eternally existent Son of God in human flesh. Here is the one who will stand and judge all, who will sit upon the judgment seat. This is the one who created the world with a word. And he is marked by an informed and deep compassion. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, the crowds are everywhere. Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus has been on this foot tour through Galilee. And people know what's happening. They are showing up at the synagogue because this man teaches like nobody else. He's not there recording every single rabbi's perspective on every single text. He's simply declaring the word of God as authoritative, as if he was the one who was behind it. Not only that, he proclaims that the the promises of the Messiah that all Jewish people were waiting for and desirous of, they're fulfilled. And he's, he's saying it's him. And he's healing everybody. This is unbelievable and people are hoarding towards jesus the crowds are intense thousands upon thousands there are two feedings of the crowds you remember those there's the feeding of the four thousand i'm not sure how it got to be the lame duck they were missing a thousand so we have the feeding of the four thousand but then we have the feeding of the five thousand that's the one we all remember right somehow four thousand got excluded from flannel graph five thousand made it in all right Jesus does two miracles to the crowds. And each time we are, we are told that there are 4,000 and 5,000 men in the crowd. So that gives you a little perspective of what's going on here. Because surely, surely there were not just men there. There were wives and there were families involved in this crowd. So Jesus is dealing with thousands and thousands of people. And he looks out at them and he is moved With compassion. Here is the heartbeat of the kingdom mission. If you were to pursue with reckless abandon verse 35 without the internal reality of verse 36, modeled by your Savior, you would be laying up treasures on earth because you would be doing it without the heartbeat of the Messiah Himself. He sees the crowds, and Jesus is not driven by mere duty. But by compassion for sinful humanity. Notice the informed compassion of Jesus is found in the second part of verse 36. He wasn't just feeling warm thoughts for these people. He wasn't just feeling bad for people. He had compassion because verse 36 says why because they were harassed and helpless. Harassed and helpless. And then he uses this so familiar word picture. Not familiar to us necessarily, but certainly familiar to us in the reading of Scripture as sheep without a shepherd. He pictures these crowds of people. And when he looks at their faces and when he looks at their desperation and when he looks at them listening to him and when he looks at them as he's healing others, he sees them as harassed and helpless as sheep that cannot get to the pasture unless the shepherd gets them there. Who don't follow They don't just uh, or they don't lead. They always follow. And so there are these people and he views them as harassed because there's no one to protect them. There's no one protecting the crowd. And no doubt Jesus is referencing here. Matthew's referencing in Jesus' compassion those who were supposed to be protecting and helping the crowd. The religious leaders of the Jewish religious system had failed. And these people were not protected, they were harassed, they were beaten down, and they were helpless apart from him. Jesus was moved. Now, notice in verse 36, the perspective of Jesus in compassion. I had a hard time trying to figure out how to get our minds around the compassion of Jesus, but I... I interacted with an illustration that helped me and maybe you can relate to this illustration and better better sense what is here in Matthew chapter nine and verse thirty six. Maybe you like me and like many others have been in a scenario where you had one set of plans. You had an expectation. Say you were excited to get away to your cabin on the lake and you wanted to get to your retreat to get away from the day to day of life and you wanted to have some downtime with your family. And as you pull up to your cabin on the lake, you are shocked to find out that the weekend that you finally got to go and be away from all the normal of life is also the great conference weekend at the lake. And there are hordes of people all over the lake. And they're loud and they have loud music and the cabin next to you is rocking at all times of the night and morning. And you're thinking to yourself, I cannot believe that I finally got away, my expectation was that we were going to have quiet time away from the norm of life. You're frustrated. You're bothered. You might lash out at them. You might feel very vindicated in anger and say cruel things about them as if they should have known this was your cabin weekend. Notice then the perspective of one who was crowded by people These crowds of people are the same crowds that Jesus jumps in a boat to try to get away for a moment, to refresh himself physically, to spend time in prayer. He jumps in a boat. He's going to go to the north end of the Sea of Galilee. The crowd runs faster than he can go in the boat, and they beat him there. And when he gets there, they're there. I mean, think about these people, thousands of them. And here's Jesus' perspective because he's consumed with the kingdom mission. He's not here for his own agenda. He is selfless in perfection. And he sets this mark for the, for the kingdom mission, for us as kingdom citizens, that we view the world around us and we view the inconveniences and we view the interruptions and we view the, the destroying of our expectations by seeing people with compassion. How many times have you seen sinful people gathered together doing sinful things and thought to yourself some self-righteous condemnation? and frustration with them. Jesus looks at sinful people doing sinful things, trying to make life work, and he is moved with compassion because he sees them as sheep who have no one to lead them. Jesus sees the crowd in a uniquely kingdom perspective. He sees them through kingdom eyes. How do you see the world around you? Do you do you look at your co-workers? With kingdom eyes? Do you look at your unbelieving family members with kingdom eyes that inform your kingdom heart with compassion? If we're going to be wearing the badge of kingdom citizen, this is our mission, and it's marked by very clear distinctions. It is marked by persistent ministry that proclaims the gospel. It is also marked by a heart of compassion that sees those who are not in Christ as desperately harassed and helpless. With such a faithful model of the kingdom mission as Jesus. We now are left with this final mark in verse 37 and verse 38. We've got this example outlined for us. We're overwhelmed by it and we find ourselves in verse 38. Shocked by what we find. Then Jesus, after the relentless ministry, after the tireless compassion, the warmth of his heart for people, then he says to his disciples, and I believe the disciples here is the broader group, those that are close to him, those who are around him and persistently around him. Not the the hordes and not the twelve. But he says to those that would claim to be followers that are near him, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And you say, well, why is it? Why is it not the twelve? Well, the twelve end up being the first answer to those prayers in verse one of chapter ten. So I think this is a broader statement of disciples. And so he references the disciples. He addresses them and he calls upon them to pray, which brings us to the third mark of the kingdom mission. The kingdom mission is marked by persistent ministry. The kingdom mission is marked by informed compassion. We see people for who they are and we 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 love them. And thirdly, the kingdom mission is marked by divine initiative by divine initiative, by an awareness that it is God who is at work in this kingdom mission. Now, Jesus changes um, his picture from one kind of farming to another. He moves from the sheep herder now to the, the crop farmer, which we get a lot more here, right? We can understand this a little better. Jesus uses a word picture here. That builds our understanding of what he sees through his kingdom eyes of compassion. He says, The harvest is plentiful, the crop is ripe. Jesus looks at harassed and helpless people who are like sheep without a shepherd, and he also sees within them a ripe harvest that is ready to be gleaned. But there's no crew to go out and to glean the fruit. From the trees or to get the grain from the field there's there's no workers there are not enough workers in fact in verse 1 of chapter 10 we're going to find out that there's one crew of 12 people that are ready to go and when we're confronted with this situation in this familiar verse in, in verse 37 that the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few often we're left with just that verse and and that's the one that sticks out in our minds And we may be led to an inappropriate response to that one verse. Verse 37 reminds us that we're short on workers in gleaning the harvest of the kingdom. And the harvest of the kingdom is sinners who are saved by grace, who come to worship and follow Jesus Christ. And so we might be prone to think, well, if we're short on laborers to go into this field, what we need to do is get a really good strategy together to train up people who can be harvesters. Or what we really should do is start our harvester resource campaign and let's start bringing in harvester money that we can support harvesters with and and let's build a strategy. We have a, a six-tiered strategy for cutting loose harvesters into the field. And Jesus, Jesus has a totally different perspective. He has a totally different perspective outlook on the problem and the remedy for the problem he says there are few laborers and the only remedy the first remedy the only way that this will be fixed is in verse 38 therefore a good study bible word there therefore always points you backwards into your context therefore because there are few laborers here's the here's the remedy pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest To send out laborers into his harvest. The source for people to be sent into the harvest. It is a work that only God himself can accomplish. You say what should be our first step. If we're going to reach the community around us. We're going to reach the world around us. Who doesn't know Christ. We need to pray. We need to pray for missionaries. We need to pray for those who embrace the kingdom of God mission those who will give their lives to proclaim in whatever their circumstance the good news of the kingdom we need to ask the father to do this work in his harvest field it's all him it's the divine initiative he's the one behind it and a kingdom mission that is a biblical perspective of a kingdom mission is marked by persistent and focused ministry It's marked by informed compassion and love for the lost. And it's marked by an awareness that it is God who does the work. He empowers, He calls, He sends out those who are harvesters. It's Him. And therefore, we come to Him in total dependence, asking Him to to create an army of harvesters for the field. Say, what are the implications of verses 37 and 38? Well, I believe that as many of you who are sitting here this morning as genuine followers of Christ. You are an answer to that prayer. I'm an answer to that prayer. Through the generations, there have been people who have committed themselves to praying that God would raise up harvesters for his harvest. And if you're here this morning and your eyes have been opened and your ears have been opened to the truth, you have experienced new life by the gracious power of God through the word of the gospel. If you have given your life to Christ and you have been brought into the kingdom of heaven and you are a kingdom citizen, you are a direct answer to this prayer. Because kingdom citizens are consumed with the mission of their king. You're here this morning and you're in Christ. You are in a missionary meeting. We're here to hear from our king. We're here to join our voices and praise to our king. We're here to be rallied by the troops to go out and do the king's work. So we're left with this shocking realization that this isn't some category that that has people need the Lord with a little video of little children somewhere across the world and. And that's missions. That's, that's what missions. No, that's global missions. But every kingdom citizen is assumed to be about the kingdom mission. Some are set aside in a special way for global missions to go where they are not familiar with the culture, where they don't speak the language, where the gospel has never gone, and they go with the gospel there, and we support them. And we send them out because God has blessed us with extra resources here in our situation. But that in no way gets us off the hook. We don't get to check the missions box. Because we wrote a check. We're kingdom citizens. And this is our mission. Because this is the mission of our king. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for this to be true? Is this really what we're ready to sign up for? To really give our lives away, to be willing to take the risk that we're actually going to speak the truth, the good news of the gospel. We're actually going to confront sinners with the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, he's the only way. But if you'll believe, if you'll turn and follow him by faith, he'll forgive you. You'll be granted eternal life. You'll you'll be relating rightly to the father and you will spend an eternity in heaven. Are we willing to go there? Are we willing to pray for and embrace a view of the world that is not self-righteous, that is not religious, but is compassionate because we see them as lost? Are we really going to go to the Father and ask that He would so enable us that we would be a part of His gathering harvesters for His field? The kingdom mission... Is marked by the model of its king. By his persistent ministry. His dedication exclusively to his mission. His informed compassion for those who are outside of his kingdom. Who desperately need the gospel of his kingdom. And thirdly by his awareness and his calling upon divine initiative in the kingdom mission. Unbeliever this morning. If you're here and whether you profess Christ or you don't, whether you're a scoffer who is well aware that this is all a bunch of laughs to you or whether you're here this morning and. You would you would say you're a follower of Christ, and yet your life has never been radically transformed. You have never come to a saving faith, a knowledge and an affection for the Savior. You, you don't know the king and and his kingdom is not on your heart and mind. Whatever the case, if you are not in Christ this morning, if you will repent, that is turn from your own righteousness, your own effort, your own wisdom, your own way, your own plans about how it is that when you die, you will not stand under judgment. If you'll turn away from all of those and you will look by faith, that is believe what you cannot see at the cross of Jesus Christ. And you will acknowledge that in Christ and in him alone, as the perfect, sinless substitute, in him alone there is forgiveness. If you will repent and believe, you will be a part of this harvest. You will be the recipient of the blessings of salvation. You will be the recipient of eternal life, the gift of God to those who are in Christ. Jesus Christ did not just come and serve His kingdom mission. He died for His kingdom mission. And He rose from the dead three days later in victory in His kingdom mission. Embrace Him today. Embrace Him today because today may be the last opportunity you have to be categorized as being ready for harvest. Respond. And you will know salvation and forgiveness. Will you repent and believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah King? If you will, you'll be received by adoption through Christ into the family of God. The good news of Jesus Christ, unbeliever, will cost you everything. Everything. You will lose your life for the sake of gaining eternal life. You will give away all that you stand for your agenda, your prerogatives, but you will receive the greatest gift that could ever be given. Forgiveness and eternal life. Believers, this morning, kingdom citizens, are you on your lifelong missions trip? Right? That's what we're here doing. We've been saved and we're on a lifelong missions trip. I mean we've done mission trips maybe you've been on a mission trip and it's been a short term deal to go over to a global missionary and to aid them with their work in spreading the gospel to unreached people groups but your life right in this valley in Hanford or in Visalia or in Kingsburg or in Selma or Fowler or Reedley or Dinuba wherever it is that you come from you're on a mission trip if you're a kingdom citizen and we have to get real enough to ask ourselves am I embracing The example of the marks of that kingdom mission seen in my Savior. Am I really, really committed to this? If not. Consider this morning that there is sufficient grace for you to obey what you see on the pages of your Bible this morning. You say, man, Adam. This might be real easy for you to stand up there and yell about it. But you're not you're not living in my shoes. Um, listen here, young guy. I don't know what you think you're talking about, but you don't understand what i'm what I'm doing and what I'm living in. You don't know who I am or, or what I'm going through. You, you don't understand um, i have I have good reason for not doing that, for not being a part of this. oh i I'm, I'm going to be in heaven and, and I embrace Christ, but you don't get it. I, I can't do this. yes, you can. You can because there is sufficient grace for you in the sufficient sacrifice of the cross. God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us his word to clearly communicate to us. His spirit to help us understand it. And there is abundant grace because the Savior is at the right hand of the Father. There is grace and mercy available to you today and tomorrow and Wednesday and Saturday. With your family, with your co-workers With your unsaved loved ones and friends. There's grace for you to be a kingdom missionary. It's available to you. And you must obey. Kingdom citizens in the New Testament. Don't sign up to be kingdom missionaries. Kingdom citizens in the New Testament are kingdom missionaries. And therefore, the New Testament is confident that if we are faithfully living out that kingdom mission... We will be persecuted. You see, the reason that 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 is so hard for us to get our brain around experientially and so hard for us to feel experientially is because most of us have done a very poor job of pursuing our kingdom mission. And therefore, we have felt little opposition because we have confronted very few people and we have spoken very few times of the gospel If we are pursuing obedience and faithfulness by God's grace. We will suffer persecution and Jesus is going to go on in chapter 10 and affirm and assure us that there is comfort in that persecution because no one, no one has been persecuted like our king. So as you go this week and you desire to rightly serve the king through the mission of his kingdom. Understand that if you suffer persecution, you suffer persecution arm in arm with the king himself. And he has suffered beyond anything you'll ever understand. He's given his life for his kingdom mission. And we as the recipients of those blessings and we pursue that as we pursue that in persecution, we enjoy the fellowship of Christ's suffering. That's what Paul talked about. So I commend you to obedience that is dependent upon grace. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, right there in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. You are salt. And you are light. It is your character quality. Let's live in light of who we are. Let's become what God has made us to be. By his grace, through faith in his power, and in the finished work of his son at the cross. Father, thank you for this paragraph It moves us. It confronts us. It gets uncomfortably close to us. And yet we desire, our hearts resonate with a desire to be faithful to our kingdom mission. We want desperately to be a part of your work because we love you, Father. We love you because you loved us before we ever knew you. You loved us when we were enemies of your name. You loved us in our sin. And you sent your son to bear our punishment of death. And We love you. We want to serve you. Teach us to obey your word. Teach us to depend upon grace. To run to the cross day after day after day and moment after moment. To see that at the cross there is sufficient grace for us. We are the recipients of all the blessings of the heavenly places. Help us to set our gaze on heaven and on our Savior who is at your right hand. Give us grace, we pray. To not just be good American Christians who go through the motions and go to a church and study your word, but use our church, our our young little church, to change the world as we harvest your harvest field. May we be on a lifelong missions trip. Change me, Father. Change each one of yours that are here. And we pray finally for those who are here that, that don't know you, who are harassed and helpless apart from Christ who are like sheep without a shepherd wandering around looking for what their heart so desperately longs for, looking for a filling for the whole that is in their heart. Open their eyes to the glories of Christ who alone and supremely can offer them salvation. May they turn and believe and know you today we pray. We acknowledge that it is you and you alone who can do these works. So we pray them by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ with anticipation in his name. Amen.